to embrace that vision that we are family as the body of Christ. Yeah. And there should be a sense of stewardship that goes with that beyond just our own nuclear family when we think about functioning together that way. And when a community starts moving like that, that's so powerful. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Leash here again with Jason. Finally, we are back together again. It's so good to have you back, Leash, in this conversation. And there's so much to catch up on. One thing that I wanted to tell you about is a few weeks ago, I got to go across Canada. I got to catch up with your husband in Calgary. I got to join with a church planning group called ARC that was doing events with pastors and their teams in Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, Vancouver. And what stood out to me, and I want to pass this on to you and to everyone listening, is it really feels like the conversations we're having here each week are finding resonance. And I kept running into people that kind of wanted to carry on the conversation. Like, you know, they go, oh, I listened to that conversation with whoever it was, like Rich Flotis, and be like, what he brought up. And then we get to carry on the conversation in person. And that feels like the whole point. Like the whole point was we wanted this podcast to fuel conversations and community with pastors across our nation. So it was really special to be able to experience some of that in person. And it almost was a taste of like, you know, because of COVID, we were not doing things like that for so long. And it was just a real picture of, we want it to be so much more than just a podcast, a real community growing across the country. Wow. I love that. That's incredible. And since you've been gone for a little bit, one thing that I think is really meaningful that we've been doing, I don't know if you've been following along, but we've been telling stories of church leaders and specific stories of what God is doing in unique pockets of Canada. And the big idea is we feel like we need to put real time and energy and resource into telling stories about what Jesus is doing in his church across Canada. Because in my day-to-day life, for example, I think other pastors listening would understand, day-to-day life in Vancouver, I'm not always aware of what's happening in all of the diverse pockets of our nation. But when you hear about God on the move, whether it's in Yukon or in Halifax or whatever it might be, it does something to my heart. Like it just reminds me that God's kingdom is growing He's using his people and building his church all over this nation. And there's just been so many special stories that we've heard, and we've been able to start telling a few of them. Like one that really stands out to me was a story of uh, Harrison Kwok, and uh, he's one of the first church plants in the Yukon in over 25 years. The church is called Northern Church Collective. And even beyond just planting a church, they've started a school where they're training other people to plant churches and lead churches in the Yukon. It's super meaningful, super exciting. And that story's easy to find on our Instagram channel, along with some other stories. And we're going to keep telling stories like this so that people can be excited and know and feel the hope that comes by realizing, wow, God is on the move in our nation. Wow, that is amazing. So Jason, if people know of other great initiatives and stories that are actually happening in Canada, what's the best way that they can share those with the CCLN team? Yeah, please. Like if there's someone that you think is just killing it or doing something meaningful or exciting or new or fresh or just underseen, please let us know. We'd love to capture their stories. You can email us at contact at ccln.ca. And hey, don't be shy. If you're doing something meaningful that we need to know about, tell us your story. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Well, that's amazing. And today's conversation is with Sid Coop. And for those of you who don't know Sid, he's been a pastor and working in the youth ministry space for a few decades now. And he runs an organization called the Youth Worker Community. And Jason, I know you and him are pretty good friends, but tell us a bit more about Sid. I like am honored to be friends with Sid Coop. I think he is 
such a gifted leader, and he's someone who is so qualified to operate in any space in the church, but has chosen for many years to stay deeply committed to youth ministry. He is among a few leading voices that have stood the test of time in the youth ministry space, championing volunteer youth workers, training youth pastors. The work he does through youth worker community is very broad and dynamic, training conferences, digital resources, um, cohorts. They run a a Bible school in partnership with key Bible schools across the country to get people credentialed and accredited for ministry. And Sid is deeply in love with the Bible and the local church and seeing young lives changed. And so I was so excited that he was willing to say yes to a conversation because as I've stepped into the season of being a senior pastor, I found that actually my passion for youth work has grown. And I really feel like for everyone listening, whether it's a youth pastor or a senior pastor, uh, we can't delegate down the work of youth ministry to just a few. The whole church needs to be championing this cause. And that's a lot of what we leaned into together in the conversation. Yeah, I actually just had the honor of meeting Sid and doing a youth series with him for Village Youth, the church that I attend, and it was amazing. And I was just just in awe of him. He's been doing this for decades, and yet here he is still with such a heart and passion for this next generation. And he looks so young. Could you figure out why he looks so young? Seriously, he's so trendy, too. Must be his kids. And you know what? That's a good segue to the reality that this uniquely is a podcast that we filmed because we got to do it in person. And so if you want to watch this, not just listen to it, you can go to our YouTube channel and see the whole thing. I know you're going to love today's conversation. Last year, the number of people living in poverty globally rose by 131 million. This is sobering to hear after many years of gains in the fight against poverty. And that's why it's so important that organizations like Compassion are leading the fight to help communities hit hard this year to rebuild. Many of you will know that around Christmas each year, Compassion releases a gift guide. It's an opportunity to fund meaningful work in areas like health, education, income generation, and more. And they've got gifts ranging from $20 to a few hundred dollars. And many families will sit down as part of their Christmas gift shopping to select a few ways to give to these causes so they can impact another's life during the Christmas season. And as a church leader, if you want to help inspire your congregation to live radically generous lives, partner with Compassion is one of the great ways you can do that. Initiatives like the gift guide make it easy and accessible for your community to engage in global work, to serve practical needs, and share the message of Jesus. I know that the team at Compassion would love to connect with you. So head to compassion.ca slash contact to get in touch with their team. That's compassion.ca slash contact. And while you're there, you can check out this year's gift guide and consider giving a gift to help children and families break free from poverty. Okay, now we're going to jump into today's conversation with Sid Coop. Okay, well, first, let me just say this, Sid. I have been doing this podcast for over a year. I think we must have interviewed 50 or more people. I think you're the second or third third person to do in person. Come on. So this is so special. This has been like a pandemic <laughs> podcast. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't intended to be that. It wasn't just a pandemic ho- hobby. We, we wanted to do this beforehand. Yeah. So you're in the office. You're in the room. It's amazing to have you. And I'm just realizing one common denominator between one of the other in-person guests, oh, Matt, Men- Matt Menzel. 
You guys have the same hairstyle. We do. And in fact, there's more things that Matt and I have in common. Like what? <laughs> well, I mean, and to be honest, Jay, I'm going to work really hard at not being offended that that's like kind of your primary <laughs> place to go. Like, I think we as, as bald people would just like the world to know that we're known as m- something more than just our lack of but hair. But you and Matt, like, you could... You could have told me that you guys, this is a, just a style choice because it works for you too. <laughs> We're pretty, yeah. Praise the Lord for a nice round head. Uh, Matt also, by the way, grew up at the camp that, and I can't, I have to go here, Jay. You know this. Okay. I have to give a bit of background. Uh, Sid and I spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Um, we, uh, Sid leads a, a number of things. We'll talk a lot about them, but one is a, a podcast for youth volunteers in local churches yeah. and working in parachurch space. And uh, I'm a frequent guest on it. <laughs> and uh, every time Jeremy, who's like the host, says, tell us a bit about yourselves. I know. Sid ends up giving this long answer that always ends up talking about Green Bay, yeah. which is the camp that his wife works at. And so yeah. I do want you to tell us all about it because <laughs> this audience doesn't know you, but he's laughing because it just anyway, it can, yeah, it's, ha- it's happened joke. before. It's an we inside joke. And we, can't, we yeah. can't do that too much in this conversation. Right. That might not serve the audience. It might not serve well, but... Matt grew up going to that camp, living at that camp. And your wife works at that camp. You live there. Yeah, we live there because she's the director of the camp. In Kelowna. In Kelowna. Not a bad place to live. It's not. You know, we're really thankful for Jay. Like, I got to be honest, when I get to travel broadly, I love coming home to Kelowna. Hmm. Like, it's warm. It's refreshing. I'm in, I get to be in the mountains real quick. So that's been a real gift to me. Yeah, really thankful. And um, give me a bit of the plot line of even just with geography, where you guys have lived in the different ministry kind of outposts you've had as a family, because that actually gives a bit of context to who you are and and what you do. So I think when when I think about that, especially in church ministry, Jay, and in youth ministry, because that's our focus is youth ministry primarily. um, uh, I like starting where I grew up. So I grew up in a really small town, Elkhorn, Manitoba, five hundred people. Five hundred people. Yeah, dude. And And how close is the nearest biggest town? Well, uh, Verdon was the closest, nearest, biggest town in my mind. Yeah. 25 kilometers away and a town of about 1,500 wow. at that time. And I was like, that's a big, that's a big town. They had, um, they had a chicken delight. What's that? <laughs> Check, come on, Jay. Chicken <laughs> delight. Like we went there and had Is it like chicken. a KFC? Yeah, kind of. Come like, on. Uh, like a prairie KFC. So, I mean, I, I was going to make like a, a cheeky comment, I but I actually have a real soft spot in my heart for, because- when I started doing youth ministry stuff or actually just church yeah. stuff, I wanted to do business. Yeah. I got into ministry because I kept getting invited to speak at youth events. Yeah. And before I ever got invited to speak at a youth event in a major metropolis like Calgary yeah. or Edmonton, it was small towns like that. Yeah. And um, I'm really thankful for that journey because when I think about the landscape of Canada yeah. and I'm passionate about urban centers, yeah. but for us to see renewal in the country, it includes yeah. these small towns. So much. And when you see churches in small towns, you realize like the average local church is working with especially in youth ministry, volunteer parents, volunteers, 100%. Uh, putting in their time, funding it on their own. And that's like the engine behind so much of the ministry happening. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's lots of things that are changing in our country. Small towns are, are in some places really drying up and there's uh, because farming is becoming big business if it's going to be sustainable. So the number of families that need to be in that place to sustain a community are changing. So there's lots of changes happening. Mm. But there's still so much significance in space like that. So you think about our community, Jay, like my dad, who was a a Mennonite lay pastor, started our first non-denominational evangelical church with a Pentecostal lay pastor. Wow. So we had this, this both Pentecostals and Mennonites together starting this little church in this little community. And that's where I grew up. That formed me. And uh, we didn't have a youth ministry. We had volunteers that ran, like did Bible studies and different things like that. 
I grew up going to a little camp in Saskatchewan called Kenosha Lake Bible Camp. Mm. That was probably like, you know, a, a, such an incredibly forming space for me. That was huge. So then after that, um, went to went to Bible college. Our family, we all went to Bible college for at least a year. So, Did you go to Briarcrest? Uh, yeah, I went to Briarcrest. Yeah. Shout out Briarcrest. Shout out to, <laughs> we love Briarcrest. I love Briarcrest. My boy's going back to Briarcrest. Which is amazing. Well. I know, it is. So did that. My plan was to be a phys ed teacher. I wanted to really, uh, in Verdon, I thought if I could get Verdon or Brandon and yeah. be a phys ed teacher there, living the dream, which was still a great dream. Hmm. But when I was at Briarcrest, uh, people started saying to me, hey, you should consider youth ministry, which again, I didn't really have a paradigm for it because we never had right. a full-time youth ministry. So I didn't have vision for that. God started to work in my heart. And so when I was in university, felt called back into ministry Ended up back at Briarcrest, finished my BA, did a year of my MA. And then my first uh, position was in Canmore, mm-hmm. Alberta, in a little uh, little AGC church. They'd never had a youth ministry before. What does AGC stand Associated for? Gospel Churches. Okay. Yeah. So they'd never had uh, a youth ministry before. We had about five kids in our senior high and about 11 kids in our junior high. And it was awesome. And did they pay you full time to do that? Yeah, dude. Was so, that a new position for them? Yeah. So listen to this. We're in a church where we probably had, like Canmore was unique because it had such a, a transient in, um, you know, population. But we were in a church that would gather anywhere from like 100 to 200 people on a mm. Sunday. Just depends how good the snow was on the mountain. Right. Right. right? <laughs> so, and so they had a vision for next gen ministries. So we had a mm. part time children's pastor full-time youth pastor, and then one other senior pastor. Wow. And so we just went after it, and it was awesome. I was there for four years, started uh, Truth Matters Ministry, which was the ministry that I, the umbrella I spoke under to youth. And because when did that start for you? Like, I think a lot of people who might know you know you because they probably heard you at one point speaking at like a youth event or a youth conference. And when did that start for you? Yeah, so that was really interesting, Jay. Um, When I was... um, when I was heading back from university to head back to Bible college for my third and fourth Sid, year. I just got to admit something like, you and I have this really unhealthy unhe- <laughs> pattern. Like, I'm just, I'm, I didn't realize this had happened to me. Like, I'm so used to just trying to like throw roasts at you. <laughs> that like, while you're saying like meaningful things on this meaningful podcast, <laughs> I'm like just shutting down. And so if you see me grin and then I'm realizing that we're filming this because you're in the office. <laughs> So good. It's so unfair. And so just, we need to push through. Right. We got to push through. Because I'll just tell you the roast. I was yeah, going to say, I was going to say, and when did you, um, did you ever prepare for those messages when you're traveling <laughs> and speaking? <laughs> or is not preparing just something you started late? Started but like, that's late. Such, a, such a bad, bad thing to say because it doesn't help our audience. For anyone listening, like you're an incredible speaker and I just... Probably yeah, should edit it but out. you know what? It's good. We're inviting them into our relationship, Jay. I just didn't, reflecting on it, I'm just not sure it's a healthy relationship. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need some intervention. Maybe. Anyways, Mediation. So keep good. going on your story. Don't oh, let me interrupt great. you. Okay, stop interrupting me. But you, but there's a couple of actually key moments, and I'm you know we'll see if they're healthy or not. I'll try to just be pointed. So when I know I'm heading back to Briarcrest. People start calling me and asking if I'll come speak at camp. Starts yeah. with Youth for Christ. Hmm. In fact, funny story. We were volunteering, my wife and I now, we're volunteering for Youth for Christ. We didn't have a speaker for one of our events. Hmm. So someone said, hey, someone's got to speak. And they're like, Sid, you need to speak. I'm like, oh, stink. Uh, Okay. It goes really well. Hmm. And then they're like, you need to speak all the time for this. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So funny, for the next one coming up, like this is while I'm at university, I don't prepare. Hmm. I keep thinking I will prepare and I never do. And I get up on the stage and I have nothing to say. Literally nothing to say. 
And I literally, this I shouldn't reveal this. I literally go, shoot, I have nothing to say. And I walk off the stage and the executive director, his name is Mark Anderson, as I walk off the stage of Youth for Christ and Brandon, comes to me and he goes, I go, I'm so sorry, Mark. He goes, that's okay. And then he goes, you need to keep speaking. And he, he goes and buys me my first lapel mic and says, I think God's calling you to be a speaker. Whoa. And brings that to me after like the greatest failure I'd had in That's a moment. That's a powerful moment. Isn't that wild? So, so he obviously saw something. People saw did. something in you. They did. And for those listening that maybe yeah. don't know, like Sid, what the gift you've been is you're not someone who really wants the stage. You're mm-hmm. not someone who's going after it. But I've just seen you for way over a decade now. It's probably been, have you been doing this for over two decades? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, consistently pointing students to Jesus mm-hmm. through the scriptures. Yeah. And I know those are huge values for you to anchor in the scriptures thank and you. Uh, to point people to Jesus and uh, really honor you for that. Like it's uh, just an incredible you. investment you've made. And um, early on when I was like invited to speak at things and do youth ministry stuff, you know, there wasn't a ton of examples, but there's guys like you, Phil can, and uh, you guys insisted on not turning it into a business. Hmm like refuse to do that. There's always the backdrop of the yeah. US speaking circuit mm-hmm. and uh, no no real issue for those that are like honoring Jesus within that totally. system. Yeah. Um, but I remember this example from, from you guys of just championing the big youth group, the big youth conference and the local youth retreat and giving the best in both environments. I saw you guys do that. It inspired me to do it. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing that, man. Yeah, well, you know, when you grow up in a town of 500, you yeah. go to a camp in Southern, you know, and you've been affected by a communicator there that's radically changed your life. It starts to make you go, oh, e- these moments really matter because mm. they matter to me. Like yeah. that's, that. so I, I'm really thankful, Jay, to the Lord. Like he's allowed me to have these really kind of diverse experiences growing up that I think have shaped me. So after Canmore, I ended up in Lethbridge you know, yeah. part-time in a larger church, larger youth ministry, loved it while continuing to do speaking stuff. And so just, and there for 11 years, which was such a, those were such forming years and really significant for me in terms of both youth ministry and leadership development. So I was invited onto the lead table at the church, you know, mm. and we were a church of like 12, 1400 on a weekly basis kind of idea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like a it, it was a. It's large enough that required, especially some, in a place like Lethbridge. That's totally massive, yeah. right, and and really great. Had a great staff, great lead pastor, like just such good experiences. But I look back now, and I'm just I'm really thankful for the diversity mm. um, of experiences that God's given me. And so it's been a great journey. Yeah. Was there a moment where, um, like, sh- like surely you were thinking, "Hey, there's a trajectory here towards senior leadership in the context of a local church." Was there a real decisive moment where you decided, um, no, I'm really meant to give my best energy and thinking to the space of children and youth? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Jay. I think, I think because I never really saw myself as a real leader or even an organizational leader. And, and again, I wonder if part of that is the environment I grew up in. Like my dad was a teacher, mom was a nurse. We were never a part of leading organizations or those sorts of things. Like yeah. I just wasn't modeled. Even our church experience was so relational in nature, like small mm-hmm. 30 people showing up on a Sunday. I don't know if I ever aspired to like a real organizational leadership very much. So that's not in my head, but I do know at around like 36, I started wrestling with my calling a little bit, Mm. like if it should remain with next gen ministries. Um, And I ended up going to Arrow. So uh, truth matters itself. Like, here's a funny thing. 
I remember my board with Truth Matters said, hey, you need to grow and expand. And I had no vision for what that meant, had no idea. Tried a couple of things, completely didn't work, actually. It was fails. So then I went to Arrow. And at Arrow, my mentor, I had a couple of mentors come to me and say, hey, you need to take ownership of um, of the experiences that God's given you in the years in youth ministry, and you need to start intentionally mentoring mm. other youth workers. Wow. So what that did at that moment is it solidified for me a vision of, of oh, I could actually remain in youth ministry for a really long time. Wow. So I think that was a real uh, transition moment for me that removed even the idea of lead- other types of leadership. Yeah. And so I guess when you ask the question, like, Jay, I just don't have very many spaces kind of when I think back in my journey where I really considered something else, but that might have been kind of the closest to it. And mm-hmm. the Lord kind of shifted that pretty quick. And you and, I, you and I have talked before, like there's this sentiment that like, you'll hear people say, don't let youth ministry be a stepping stone to senior yeah. leadership, whatever. And I think I get the sentiment, but I don't like no. that idea we talked about because like, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah that there's going to be people who for a season of life have favor with the next generation because of proximity of age. Yep. And youth ministry is a great environment for gifted, godly men and women to grow their leadership. Yeah. And that's part of the journey potentially towards senior leadership. And often it goes along with your own life journey. Like you begin having kids, you begin to have uh, to get married, and then you begin to see your peers differently and you grow up with that. And it's a great leadership development pipeline in the context of the local church. Yeah. Uh, can I, uh, let me speak to that for just a second, Jay. I think, and I, and I, and I want to speak to senior pastors maybe for a minute or senior leadership in a church as well. I, I really think that we need to change our vision of what we would like to see developed in our youth, in our youth pastors or hmm. youth workers. So, um, and I want to be careful when I say this. Um, there is great value as a youth worker uh, seeing that you're called to like mentor, love, and care for 10 to 20 kids. Right. Like, that's beautiful. And there's lots of spaces and environments where we should do that. But I I also want to say that, um, and even within those environments, I think that we should also be asking the Lord to grow our leadership capacities. Because, um, you know, both you and I, and we've talked about this, Jay, that that the only way to go deeper in the lives of kids— uh, to go broader, so get more kids that we can disciple in deep ways and do it in a sustainable manner is to continue to build our teams of volunteers. Hmm. And that requires leadership, right? Yeah. Like that requires the ability to help create systems and structures that can facilitate their mentoring ministry with kids and then continue to kind of scale that if we're going to use that type of language. And, and, and any environment should have that. So when I think back to Canmore, when we had five senior high kids and 11 junior high kids, and I wasn't, I didn't know organizational language, like organizational leadership language, but that's not what we ended up doing. We mm. invited around a number of volunteers. We started gathering them, training, equipping, facilitating their work, figuring out how to design program for it. But here's the point I want to make. I think, um, I think as senior leaders, you should be looking to develop the leadership capacity of your youth pastors for a number of reasons. Number one, um, again, it's the only way to continue to expand the work. It's a really important way to continue to expand the work of reaching more kids in deep ways within your community. they got to grow that leadership capacity. Number two, the issues that we're dealing with these days are more complex, I mm. think, in many ways than before. And there's there's the need to be able to like change and shift with programming. We've noticed that over this last you know, year and a half. 
And, and, and in order to, to be able to remain effective in ministry, we have to be thinking through how to do change management, how to do good communication, how to make sure that, that we're focused on mission and vision and values so that our strategies change, but those things don't. Like Those are all really important mm. leadership bits that I think as a senior pastor, you should be thinking about investing in your youth pastors that way. And then the other part, and this is, I think, where I feel like almost subversive, and I'd love to do a deep dive here, so I'll come to it second. Uh, third, that our youth pastors, like you should, speaking, if youth pastors are listening to this, even if you wanted to stay in youth ministry, you should develop your leadership gifts so that you have such value to your organization that you're invited to the lead table, hmm. where you're actually affecting like systems, structures, processes for the sake of passing faith to the next generation. And then finally, you should be preparing yourself that if God would call you to more senior leadership, you're, you've learned good lessons in that space so that you can move into those senior leaderships and still bring a vision for passing mm. faith on to the next generation. But here's the other part that I think we forget, Jay. Like, if as a senior pastor, you can have a vision to develop the leadership capacity of your like youth ministry and your point youth worker in particular— you will not have a better environment to train, equip, and prepare the lay leaders of your church than mm-hmm. youth ministry. Yeah. So think about this. Like if you're running a healthy youth ministry where you're primarily working through your volunteers to shepherd kids, and of course, we are embracing the priesthood of all believers when we speak about this idea. Do you know what I mean? That we see that we're facilitating their work as primary pastors in kids' lives. All of a sudden, you have people who, number one, have a, you know, a, a fairly good chunk of time that they can give into yeah. the journey but we don't always have at different stages of life, but most of our youth workers are younger, so they have more discretionary time. That's wonderful. We should embrace that. We should use that. They're, they're, they're working with kids at a stage of their development where when they want to process the most significant questions, they're generally starting to look to someone other than a family member to do mm. that, and that's part of differentiation. So who do they look to? They look to the person that's like um, that's the most significant older person in their life, which is a could should be a volunteer youth worker. Mm. So now you're learning on how to like actually shepherd people through like significant kind of moments of their personal journeys. Yeah, that's not a small thing mm-hmm. to learn. And then all of a sudden, you know, as is the journey of humanity and especially adolescence, you're going to have crisis moments that you have to deal with. So now you're figuring out how to manage crisis, how to relationally journey with people in crisis, how to bring other people into that journey. So if you just stop and think about it for a second, like if I would think about one of my volunteer youth workers, let's say when I was in Lethbridge, and they started with my students in grade nine and committed to leading that small group through grade 12. And they really became like relationally invested with those kids because that's the vision we made. By the time they've been with those kids four years, not only have they like affected those kids for four years, but essentially they've been in a four-year training program to become the best lay leader that our churches have. And they probably won't stay in youth ministry forever, Mm -hmm. but they might stay in ministry in the church for a really long time. And the training's been phenomenal. So when I'm talking, you know, I was talking with some uh, uh, lead pastors in a church the other day, and I just said, hey, when you have this vision for your youth ministry, do you know what I mean? Where your point leader, whoever it is, is more about facilitating the work of volunteers. Not only are you making a difference in those kids 
in that ministry right now, you're preparing the best lay leaders for your church for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Like there's no better place for that equipping to happen. In my opinion, obviously I'm going to advocate for that. I want to kind of parse, you've said so many amazing things there and there's a lot of threads and I don't know which one to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on one hand, what stands out to me is that youth ministry is this incredible space to raise up leaders. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced this as a church planner that some of our best small group leaders, totally. the consistent thread is they led a small group as a youth leader. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, I've noticed with adults, like whether they're 40, yeah. 50, 60 years old, their primary training and experience yeah. with leadership or leading a small yeah. group or discipling individuals yeah. was at a summer camp yeah. or was... Uh, in a youth ministry. Yeah. And like, because, because there's so much, yeah, like the season of life that that often happens is there's more time. So is that incredible idea? And I think that in of itself is a reason why, because one of the cases I want to make with you, and I hope we can circle back to it, is youth ministry needs to be concerned for more than just the youth pastor. And so we'll park that, that idea and keep coming back to it. But then this, this idea of like the youth pastor who, you know, that sentiment of, is it a stepping stone? You know, and I think that we're trying to say, hey, if all it is is a stepping stone, that's not going to work. Right. But it's normal if you mature out of it. Totally. No, that's the wrong word. It's normal if your calling changes or 100%. different seasons of life. I don't want to say mature out of it, edit that out. They're not going to edit it out. This is me telling the listener, yeah. just forget I said that. You get it. That's not the hardest. Yeah. You get what I'm saying. But there are some people who carry on in youth ministry because they see not just the difference it makes in youth, but the leadership development opportunity uh, way beyond just that one, four, 10 year season. And you're one of those guys. And obviously you've done it not just in a local church, but now you're coaching multiple churches through youth worker community, which is the ministry you lead. Um, You guys are training volunteers and youth pastors across the country and uh, around the world. And I just wanted to really, you know, and you might, if there's some other direction you want to go, I just really wanted to hear why you have decided to keep your energy on youth ministry. Yeah. Let me just quickly say, Jay, I want to just touch a con- uh, that statement you made. Hey, if you're, a, if you're someone who, who wants to be in senior leadership in a church, don't be embarrassed about starting in youth ministry to cut your teeth there. Yeah. Like if you come out of college, you're 22, 23 years old. We're like, that, that's actually a good space to do yeah. it, but be all in while you're yes. there. Be all in while you're there and think about what you're doing. You know, can you leave a lasting mark that can, that can make a difference beyond your physical presence in that space, mm. but be all there, learn what you need to learn, make a difference and it's okay to move on. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm going to ask that God would continue to give you a heart for passing faith to the next generation. Yeah. I don't care where I should. Okay. So I think that's important. Now, why did I, uh, why did I stay uh, in this? Well, I think first of all, um, you know, I would say, of course, God called me, but really practically, um, I've just never felt like there's been a lid for my leadership development in youth ministry. I've mm-hmm. always felt like there's opportunity to continue to grow that lid, and I think um, a couple of things happened when I when I started in youth ministry. Like relationally present, I was I was there. So every day after school, I was picking kids up. We'd go mountain biking. We were in Canmore. We'd go mountain biking. We'd go for Cokes. We'd do that. Like, it was never-ending, and I loved it. I was in. Weekends, going for hikes with kids, do like all relational, all in. And we'd build teams, but I was still right on the ground. And then I remember, you know, Jen and I got married, and Jen was all in, so we continued to roll that way. And then we started having kids. And then I started, you know, getting a little older. And I went through a little bit of a crisis where I was like, man, I don't have the same kind of energy for mm. that. There's other responsibilities in my life that are starting to kind of creep. 
And I actually went through a time where I wondered, you know, hey, maybe I'm not called to youth ministry anymore, like that season yeah. I talked about in the mid-30s. And someone came to me and just said, hey, you're kind of an idiot if you think you can continue to do youth ministry. <laughs> Sounds like a really sweet person. <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful, right? But it was really freeing for me to go, oh, I think I do need to change a little bit on how mm. I do this. But that doesn't mean I've lost my calling or my effectiveness in youth ministry, but there should be a different way of doing this now. Yeah. And um, and so that shifted me where I started like thinking about some of that leadership, uh, leadership skills, the way that I facilitated, saw myself as working more with volunteers to um, to create the systems and structures and facilitate their role with kids in particular. Can I interrupt you really, really quickly and just pause? Like you, you've said something a couple of times that I just want to like lock into my own imagination. Mm-hmm. Is there is a shift in thinking about like you describe? a season of youth ministry where you're in the life of the students, you're going biking after school, yeah. you're doing those things. And a couple of times you mentioned this idea of like, as you mature as a leader, you begin thinking about how do I mobilize more volunteers? Yeah, and that comes with, then how do I build systems and structures and training and supports so those volunteers can thrive so they can be in the life yeah. of the students. Great. And I actually don't think that's just a youth ministry trajectory. I think all of us in leadership uh, in the local church, I'm sure it's true in other organizations, but I just yeah. have no expertise there where we begin to think, oh, I'm not just discipling 11 or 12 people. I'm equipping people to be disciple makers. Yeah. I'm equipping people. And then all of a sudden it makes sense. Like, so then I'm creating systems and structures. And that doesn't mean you still don't have those 10, 11 no. students or whatever it might be in your life. But you're being to say, oh, my role as a pastor, as a leader is that. And I think that's why, um, you know, I, I get really inspired by young pastors I think about a friend of us that we have in common. He said to me one time, he goes, dude, you put me on kids ministry, put me on youth ministry, put me on worship ministry. Yeah. doesn't matter if I can even play the guitar. I'm going to do the same thing wherever you put. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to call out giftings. I'm going to mobilize people to make disciples, reach people far from God. Yeah. That train of thought, that's yeah. like, and that's a shift for me because, Interesting, yeah. you know, because when you think about yourself as your passion being towards the people you lead, you say things like, I could never do kids ministry. I'm just not, I just don't love being in a room with a bunch of four or five-year-olds. I like my kids. I just don't like their, my kids' friends. Yeah. And um, I do like my kids' friends, yeah. but you know, I just don't <laughs> want 12 of them in the room. But then when you go, oh, actually what I'm called to do is mobilize people in their giftings, in their calling for the purpose of making disciples and making Jesus known. Yeah. You can put it in any context. Yeah, it doesn't Worship matter. ministry, children's, yeah. um, city outreach, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember, Jay, like some some of us have like, specific leadership gifts that allow us to build those structures and systems and facilitate those kinds of movements and growth naturally out of a gifting. Not all of us have that, right? Like we're all called to lead, but not all of us have organizational leadership gifts, Hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can't all grow our skills. Hmm. So we can all continue to grow our skills, you know, somewhat for the kinds of environments that God places us in. So it, it is true. Like there are some people that are just way more gifted, like, Jay, you and I are gifted differently. So when I see the things that you do with your organization and some all those different areas, I go, oh, that's so amazing. That's not me, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't steward my leadership gifts hmm. or skills in the space where I am. And I think I'd like to advocate for that, both for like, you know, youth workers out there, you need to you need to steward your your gifts and skills and grow them. And then for lead pastors, like invest in your in your youth workers that they would continue to grow and lift in those leadership areas mm-hmm. and call them to that that they would steward that well like give them a vision for what how what they're doing 
makes a difference way beyond just the youth ministry. Really does. I love that. Can you, um, I want to ask kind of a meta question. How are we doing with the next generation? Like, you know, you are part of a lot of research projects with the EFC and other groups. Um, you're on the ground anecdotally. You're seeing a lot of youth ministries. How are we doing out there, man? Like I'm reading the data that it seems like at an increasing rate, students are disengaging with the life of the local church, the pandemic, uh, accelerate that at least that's what it seems tell me what you're seeing yeah being a pretty emotional dude it would probably depend on the time of day when you ask me that question yeah. how i'm going to respond yeah. you know what i mean but i was i was thinking about this like generally speaking i'm i'm somewhat of an optimist but you're right like the the data isn't positive you, you know what i mean like we have um it, it seems to me like we have far too many kids that are disengaging from faith and church by the time they finish college. Yeah. The research continues to point that way. I actually don't know, Jay, how much that research is changing. Like when we did the hemorrhaging faith research in 2011, yeah. we would say that in evangelical churches, it was kind of 50%. 50% of kids, children or youth, who had a significant church or faith experience as a child or youth, sorry, young adults, as a child or youth, were disengaged from church and most from faith by the time mm. they're done college. When we did renegotiating faith, you know, four years ago, three years ago, the numbers weren't that different, to be honest. Right. I think we'd kind of moved maybe from 50 closer to 60%, but, but, and we weren't focusing on that, but the numbers hadn't changed a ton, which was interesting to me. I think what was concerning for me was where we started seeing people... Um, uh, really disengage from an, an understanding of Christ being Christocentric, an understanding of the role of Scripture and the authority of God in Scripture in our lives, like some of those things. So people still affiliating with Christian faith, but some of those deeper-rooted elements not in place in the same way. And so, of course, that contributes to lots of you know dysfunction and different ways of living, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would say, just personally, I would say that I am... I'm, I'm obviously concerned greatly about um, the next generation, how they define faith, how they understand what it means to follow Jesus. I think sense of identity is so significant within and without the church, like that um, I'm deeply concerned that we that we're in a space where identity primarily comes from within that we create as opposed to allowing God to give us our identity that we discover and then surrender to that. Those kinds of things really, really concern mm. me a lot. And it has deep, like it's deeply rooted both within the church and outside of the church with young people, deeply rooted. But at the same time, um, as I'm working with youth leaders and, um, and volunteers, I'm really encouraged mm by the number of youth workers and youth leaders that are really thoughtful about wow. passing faith to the next generation, about growing their commitment. Like, um, you know, I, I'm really excited about the number of churches where point youth workers are going, man, I need to do a better job of, um, of discipling my leaders so that they can disciple the kids in their mm. care. And that gives me a ton of hope because yeah. like now we're kind of scaling. And again, it's not just about the fact that that's going to make a difference in the 12-year-old or the 15-year-old, but also in my volunteer leaders who are involved in this as well. So yeah. I see that affecting broadly. So I'm really encouraged by that kind of movement. And, and the other thing is, Jay, like, I just believe that God always has remnants hmm. in place, like always. I, you and I were talking the other day about um, Elijah when he's so depressed over the state of of Israel and people following after God. And God says, oh, there's like 5,000 who haven't bowed a knee. 
hmm. and you're not aware of them, but they're there and I'm at work. And so that kind of narrative. Dude, I need that always, word right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like looking over the city of Vancouver yeah, or bro. whether it's Canmore or whatever city it's like, yeah. it feels like, man, is there, and there are, but it's just some, of course there are, but I some know. days it feels like, are there other, are, is anyone else? Oh, dude. And it does feel overwhelmed, which is probably the other reason why, Jay, what, what, you know, what you guys are doing, gathering as networks, gathering in groups is really important because we have to be reminded that we're not the only ones. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is what a beautiful, what a beautiful age this is where we can jump on these podcasts or these platforms and be reminded, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I'm part of something much bigger. Now we have to get in physical space. We actually have to feel that. Yeah. We actually have to know that. We have to get shoulder to shoulder, but we're not the only ones. Mm. And if we, if we just stay within our own space as the only ones, oh, we'll be totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Like honestly, it's too much. Yeah. And it feels like a tsunami, a cultural tsunami that of values that are so opposed to our values as followers of Christ that are being so normalized mm. that it just, it feels so overwhelming, but that's not reality. Yeah. Like that's actually, what's really real is that God is still on the throne, that Jesus Christ is still at work changing lives, that in the midst of the hardship, Jesus Christ is transforming us as individuals. The Holy Spirit is still advocating on our behalf before the Father, and still advocating in our lives from the Father, He's still working. That's what's really mm. real. And, and we're not done. Like as long as we breathe, He is working, He is redeeming, He's restoring. So uh, Jay, like we, we have to continue to fight to see what is actually real. Mm. Like as leaders, we have to continue to reset the lens, our vision to know what is real. Because if we don't, we're going to continue to do this work out here and be overwhelmed by mm. it because this feels really big, yeah. really against us, really alone. But that's not what's real. That's mm. not true. So I just, you know, I think we have to continue to be in these spaces where we are reminded of what is, what is true. Yeah. So as you look at the youth ministry landscape, and when I say youth ministry landscape, I, I particularly mean just ministry to the next generation, yeah, okay. whether it's teenagers or even younger. Yeah. Um, the research is showing increased disengagement. The research yeah. is also showing that amongst even Christian youth, there's just massive worldview shifts. Yeah. And so the task is in front of us. Yeah. Um, what can we do? Like, what can... Let's just speak to the senior leader right now. Yeah. They're not necessarily in the weekly programming of the youth ministry. What kind of decisions can they make on a board level from the pulpit on Sunday mornings? Budget, resourcing, like yeah, really what great. do we do? Like, it, or what's working? Like, like yeah. how can we begin to move towards this cause and not just continue to say it seems like it's going this direction? Yeah, that's great. So, I, you know, uh, a few thoughts come to my mind. Number one, if you're a senior leader, you need to champion uh, next, uh, passing faith on to the next generation. The idea of passing faith on to the next generation, to your people, you have to champion that. Like you have to do it. If we don't do that in a generation, we don't have our church. Let's be really clear on that. Can, can I press you a little bit? Can you define that a bit more? When you say like champion, passing faith on to the next generation, yep. what does that sound okay, like? So what I'm does gonna, that look l- like? Let me just speak to that for a second. Here's, here was a conviction that I, th- here's a thing that I'm wrestling with. You take a look in like Mark chapter 10, right? where Jesus is uh, speaking to the masses, his ministry is going like, re- by all accounts, it's really successful, and the disciples are all in. So there's, there's big growth kind of happening. And then it says that the people start bringing children to Jesus, mm-hmm. that he would, you know, he would touch them, right? 
And the disciples are all of the sudden, they're like, whoa, whoa, this is kind of messing up the system here. And they start like speaking against the people. They say, mm. quit. And then Jesus sees this and it says he becomes indignant. Like he's mm. really upset. And essentially he says, don't hinder the children from coming to me. Okay, so that, uh, and so that I'm I'm looking at that. I'm going okay. So what am I doing that's hindering the children from coming to me? Like I do a personal evaluation from coming to Jesus. Sorry, personal value, all that kind of stuff. But I think there's something bigger at play here. Hmm. Here's what I think is happening: is the disciples actually think they're trying to help his mission, not hinder it? And Jesus wow. says you're hindering it. So here's what I think that might mean for us in senior leadership in churches. It, it, it's this is. Helping our people come to a place where we, especially in this complex season that we're in, where where everything is changing, systems and structures that we've been used to for so long are gone. You know, there's just so much shifting happening that I wonder if as churches, we need to just continuously try to posture ourselves in a position that says this, Lord, if there's anything we're doing that we think might be helping your kingdom work, but it's actually hindering the children from coming to you, could you reveal that to us? Mm. And we would be open to just like surrendering that and changing. Like if we would just take that humble disposition and if as church leadership, we would, we would lead our people, our leadership into that kind of a space, I think we have a lot of hope mm. for passing, you know, for passing faith on to the next generation. But that's really hard. Like. Wow. Because we hold on to lots of these things. We, we, as we're getting older, it's more about what's this experience for me and that sort of thing. And I think that's great. We need to have spaces that are, that are ministering to like everybody. I get it. But I want to advocate and say that, that sometimes we need to like be willing to like hold some of these things that we think are really important for ministry, but actually might not be. Like there's a chance they might not be that we're blinded. We don't see, which we all are. And we should just say, okay, Lord, like lead us. And I think, you know, in light of that too, Jay, like when we see that kind of vitality start happening with younger people in our church, it brings life to the whole, like it brings flourishing to the whole being. So I think like, I think that's really important. The other thing I would say is, you know, just practically speaking, if I'm a senior leader in a church, I'm going to my, you know, if I'm in a church that has a paid point leader, I'm going to that paid point leader and saying to them, hey, is there anything that I can do to help you encourage and equip your volunteers? Yeah. Because it, just let me know. Yeah. Like, do you need me to show up and do a 10-minute train yeah. or affirmation? Like, just let me know. Children's ministry, youth ministry. Like, It's fascinating that sometimes the people training um, the most important sector, yeah. being children and youth, yeah. most important for two reasons. Most important one, because it's the most vulnerable sector, essentially. Like, Absolutely. Like, so the training needs to be best because of the nature of that. But also from like an ROI point of view, this is your church of 30 years from now. And so, and then, and everyone listening who's pastoring 50 year olds know that you can, it's almost impossible to unwind what was yeah. established in their teen years. Yeah. Like I'm still living out so many of the convictions that were imparted to me from my youth pastor for better or for worse yep. about prayer, about the Bible, how I approach it, guilt, yep. shame frameworks, all of those things. Yep. And so most important for a lot, of, a lot of reasons, rarely gets the most senior leaders attention. Yeah. The most experienced people are rarely training the volunteers who are working with the most important demographic. Let me throw this idea. I'm just thinking about this. I'm not, con- I'm not convicted of this, but, but let me throw this idea out there. So, um, Jay, we believe in like the wisdom of the elders and the older, like we don't, I don't deconstruct that at all, right? Like we need older leading, sharing, guiding, directing. 
But if you really wanted to make a difference in your like your community, or you wanted to reshape, like create a new cultural way of being, say in an environment where you're in, maybe an activity group, a, a school, whatever it is, or a, a city area, are are young adults especially have like means and ways of moving ideas, thoughts, and values that I, as someone who's almost 50, don't fully understand. Hmm. So if I can actually get their heart and I can actually shepherd and mentor them, um, they we can release a movement that can move like faster, deeper than what I could even actually imagine or dream of. So I just keep thinking, are there ways, you know, we, we should be thinking that way. Like when I bring in those people, if I mentor and invest in them, I can actually like kind of 10x hmm. our ability to start doing like cultural shifts, I think. That's yeah. what I think. And that's just, you know, so I'm wrestling with that. And I think that's why as senior leader, I if you're not thinking consciously about how to like lean in to that, you know, next generational reality, I think you're missing a really significant opportunity and, and missional imperative, to be honest with you. I um, remember being at a youth conference. I think it was in... Um, New Brunswick and uh, or in um, Nova Scotia and there's a big youth conference and uh, there's a senior pastor you and I both know out there and I was out there sharing or something like that and uh, in the audience of like 2000 I saw yeah. this like senior pastor with his like 13 youth yeah and they're like a couple year old church plant and yeah. you know they've got like 13 kids and he was like right in there with them and I'm like and that's not every youth no, senior pastor's job no, yeah, I get it. you know yeah, yeah. but there's something about him going I can't afford to not, not be investing in this generation we don't have youth pastor yet we're not there in our church journey whatever it might be and it just like it just really moved my heart and uh, again it leading we talked about this earlier leading the next generation is often mobilizing volunteers that yeah. kind of thing but there's something about that picture that really gripped my heart yeah, you know, our when I, I think about Lethbridge, Lethbridge was such a healthy space for me, Jay. And our senior pastor, his name was Ian Lawson. Number one, he actually ended up volunteering in our youth ministry, which was bizarre to me. He was like, seriously, I think he was almost 60. We He had a little bit of space and he goes, I just, I'll, let me invest in the youth ministry. Wow. I'm not 100% convinced that him being a small group leader for like four years in our high school was necessarily the best youth of his time. And it was hard. And we would just we just facilitated him to be able to show up when it worked, yeah. and put him in places where we could leverage the best of him. Like we started learning for him to be like a twenty two year old. That's not going to be functional or even even helpful. But here's the thing that was huge. He so believed in passing faith to the next generation that he just empowered me, encouraged me, was present when I needed him to be present. You know, when we needed to lean into our volunteers because there was some activity that was happening, you know, kind of within our volunteer community that was detrimental to the mission that God had called us to. He was right there with me, affirming, encouraging, loving, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And then when it came to our budget, he didn't just throw money at our youth ministry. Hmm. We needed to be able to show how it was being used effectively and being well stewarded. But when we could do that, when I could grow up, give him a good proposal or a vision for it, it was a no-brainer wow. because it was a missional imperative. So um, just to be in that kind of space with that kind of support was really powerful for us. He was always advocating, always advocating for us. And I think even if you even if you do that, like that's going to be your win. But, you know, we would train our volunteers. Every week we would gather uh, before youth for an hour. We'd eat together and then we'd, you know, engage ministry. 
And if he would just show up, walk mm. in the room, and for 10 minutes just go, man, you guys, thanks so much for what you do. This is so important to our church and our ministry. That was like game-changing momentum for those volunteers for that night and beyond. So wow. that kind of positioning is just is wonderful. Um, let me just say this again. Like, Jay, when we think about your work at The Way, and we've been interacting on it, here's just something that's been pretty cool. Like, um, you're running a ministry right now that is primarily run by volunteers. Yeah. I love it a lot. And, now, and, and then you're really intentionally thinking about how to build systems and structures and invest in those volunteers so they can be freed up to do really great ministry. But even in the teaching plan, you have your most senior leadership committed to showing up to help with teaching youth for those youth. You're not playing the games. You're not going on the retreat. Don't need to. You've got phenomenal volunteers with all sorts of energy to do that. But you're there to invest in kind of like the most important moments where you can. And I think that says something hmm. amazing to the young people that are part of the ministry here. Like that vision to me is so powerful. Hmm. I um, know that the idea of the church family being a community, not just yeah. around young people, but around for individuals is something you're passionate about and it's personal for you. Mm -hmm. Tell me where this, like, where you kind of, in your own story, really woke up to just the power of what the church family can be for an individual. Huh. So interesting. So when I was thinking about, you know, as I was going through adolescence, what most shaped me, I thought about camp a lot, but I, but I really thought about showing up in our little church consistently week after week and just, um, just like adults of other f families, loving, inviting, caring, like we were part of the whole family. Like I always felt like we were as a body of Christ, we were actually a family together. I wasn't able to articulate it or process it when I was younger, but looking back now, I see that and go, oh, that was really powerful in my life. And then now what's been really interesting for me, like, you know, as my kids have moved from early to late adolescence and now into young adulthood, there's been plenty of seasons where, um, you know, as my boys go through differentiation, they try to create a little bit of emotional distance from me to create space for the, you know, ownership of their own identity. It's been a fascinating experience. So I'll, I'll never forget, like, when, um, when my son was engaging, like, a pretty intense conversation or topic, and he goes, Dad, what do you think about this? Like, mm. are you one of the weird ones or what? I was like, well, I don't think I'm one of the weird ones necessarily in this conversation. But I said, son, would you like to know what your dad actually thinks about this? He's yeah. like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and so you're kind of like, whoa, that's a little bit of a shock. But here's what the win was for me. Um, one of my best friends, who is the dad of one of my son's really good friends, also took an interest in my son. So he took him out for, you know, a Coke or a slush and had like great conversations mm -hmm. with him that were really powerful. And then on the flip side, I took his son out. And we did cokes and we went to activities mm. and did things together and was able to help influence there. And it was a safe relationship. He could actually talk about his dad to me and yeah. know that, you know what, but, but we started, you know, investing in each other's uh, families, which was really powerful. Now, we know that the nuclear family is really has like a profound effect yeah. on the formation of, of, of our kids. We, we know that. But there's this stage of life in adolescence where that foundation is making a difference even when we don't understand it. But if someone else can come in and engage the journey that shares our values, that voice is so powerful as that young person really begins to own their own identity and their own faith, where 
They're known more by their first name than their last name. You know, that kind of idea where they can process, you know, these issues that that don't necessarily feel safe because of kind of the emotional connection that's happening in that nuclear family. We don't have to be afraid of it. It's normal and helpful. But I think as as families in our church, we should be aware of one another's families, actually, Hmm. and look to be helpful in that. And here's kind of, um, Jay, here's where theologically uh, I'm wrestling with this. Um, I'm taking a look in the New Testament, and it just seems to me, almost without exception, and I'm huge on the nuclear family, I love the nuclear family, but it seems to me, almost without exception, when Jesus speaks about family, he talks about the body of Christ, Hmm. like he talks about the church, you know, the... He said, my family are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. You just see that image over and over again. And I really think that we need to embrace that vision that we are family as the body of Christ. Yeah. And there should be an ownership hmm. that, or a sense of stewardship that goes with that beyond just our own nuclear family when we think about functioning together that way. And when a community starts moving like that, that's, that's so powerful. Powerful, man. Yeah. I love that. Um, I love the work you're doing with youth worker community, and I just love for you just to take a minute to just talk about some of the projects you guys have coming up. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, um, but we just love to hear how people can get involved. And I know that you're like going to be humble and not want to promote your stuff, but um, I really believe in the work you're doing, and just would love for you just to take a few minutes, to, you know, describe what the organization's doing, ways that people can get connected. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear more about it. Cool. So. Um you know, it's it's a really neat season, Jay. Over the last few years, we've we've just seen kind of like some expanding opportunities that have been coming. So this is kind of how we're functioning right now. We have five like divisions or branches or focuses, I guess you could say, as an organization. And and our primary mission with youth worker community is to encourage and equip youth workers to better disciple kids in their care. So that you know that's what we're looking to. We want them to help kids know Jesus more. And, um, and so we do five different things primarily. Uh, number one, we do conferences. So we've been running conferences across our country pre-pandemic, and we, we do them in multiple cities across the country. Are you bringing the them back? We're bringing them back. Come on, bring them back. We're, we're bringing them back. So a couple of things we're doing there, and, and that just allows us to gather physically together with a heavy focus on volunteer youth workers in that space. We're doing two things. This October, we're doing a, a, a tour across the country. Yeah. We're hitting like 21 locations in 16 days. It's just going to be a buzz, about three-hour events with youth workers. We're really excited about that. In January, we'll start conferences again. We're shifting some of the structure on that. So it's a little bit more scalable and sustainable. Excited about that. We do conferences. And then in the pandemic, we've been doing virtual conferences. And Mm. we partner with different organizations like Alpha, uh, Youth for Christ, other organizations we love and, and do those. So we do conferences. Okay, That's one thing we do. We think it's important to still physically be in space together to encourage and equip each other. Uh, the other thing we do is what we call our coalition. So it's- Do a, all of the five things you do start with the letter C? Close. Not all of them? No, bro. Let's, I see, if we, they let's might. see if we can get it there. I think we can. We might be able to get there, I'm just which gonna could make be notes. helpful. So you got, yeah, you got you conferences, you got coalition. Okay, what's the coalition? Yeah, coalition is our two-year program for like training vocational youth workers. And this is accredited, right? Yeah, it's part of a BA or a full MA. So we're accredited in partnership with other organizations to do that. Sweet. So it's- Full on, but what it is, it's like the trades. Essentially, you're you remain in your local context. You have like a ministry mentor in that space, someone who's doing discipleship for you in that space, and we help create the structures for that to take place. Those relationships. You come to us for eight one-week modulars, and we bring in professors from around North America for those modulars, 
and you're part of a cohort as well. So it's integrative, it's affordable, it's accessible, it's experiential, and it, there's this coaching journey that happens. Mm-hmm. Love that. So we've got the coalition. Then we've got, um, this is where we go off the rails, dude. We've got like lots of digital resources we've been creating. Mm-hmm. So we have our podcast. Call it content. Content. Oh. I love that. We have <laughs> content bracket digital. <laughs> My brain's starting to just run now. <laughs> so we have podcasts and blogs, webinars, yeah. curriculum that we do, and we partner. It's super helpful. I remember even in, when I was serving the church before we planted, um, I was just pointing our youth leaders to those 15-minute right? weekly podcasts because like, yeah. that's something they could listen to on their way to youth group, totally um, on their way to work, and that's a great resource. Yeah. Stuff we're you guys have been so helpful. We're super thankful for that. Uh, we do research. So we're, we mm, partner with lots of research projects. Get that on. Yeah, keep working on that. You just keep going. And then the final one that we're involved in, which I'm really excited about right now, is like ministry design, coaching, and consulting. So we're working with, if we just did a coaching and consulting, we could keep it there, but it's the ministry design part that I yeah. love so much. So churches will hire us uh, to come in, take a look at their youth ministry, do assessments, figure out how it's aligning with the vision and values of the, of the church as a whole. And this is brilliant. This is why I like it. And I know if someone's thinking this sounds like an ad, like there's no ad here. I just actually yeah. think this is important stuff. And um, what I like about this model with the coaching and ministry design is we're saying, hey, you're saying, hey, we can come in and support whatever volunteers totally. or paid staff to bring lift and elevation to yeah. it. And I think this is part of a new way that ministry is happening yeah. where we're saying, hey, we can learn from others. We can take the best practices. Yeah. And sometimes like the simple example to me is like, hey, if there's a form, like a, you'll do like a youth worker code of conduct form. Totally. And some youth pastor or volunteer sitting in a room for five, six hours trying to write that thing, get it yeah. edited. And somewhere else in Canada or somewhere else in the world, someone's done a much better job doing it. Yeah. And they've got it vetted by professionals. So yeah. it's just like, you know. Yeah. And uh, imagine if you could just grab that. Well, if you scale that out to even youth ministry design, curriculum workflows, um, all those best practice, youth ministry training. And I feel like what you guys are doing is trying to say, hey, how do we create access for the stuff that just can't just be photocopied and shipped, yeah. but still is this work that's been done yeah. that you can take the weight off of a local context? Well, and even think about this, like Jay, when we think about our community, we have access to like, like literally hundreds of years of youth ministry experience in our network. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So when we come into a church environment, I can meet with a senior leader. They can share with me their frustration or struggles. And we can go, oh, hey, I think there's a way forward on this. And we can access certain people that can help us with that. We can build you a strategic plan and show you how to implement it, help execute. So we can kind of become a bridge between like senior leadership of a church and their youth ministry and help kind of create that space to become very functional. And it's been like, it's been a real, um, it's been really rewarding to be able to be in that space where we're actually working. Like when we do our ministry design, we're hired by church leadership to work with their youth ministry, not to just affect their youth worker, Hmm. but actually the ministry itself so that there can be something that's really effective and sustainable beyond the life of just an individual in that space, but rather for the life of the church itself. And that kind of stuff really thrills me. I love Hmm. it. So still no C word for the the research. Um, if yeah, somebody one of the listeners, well, no, we went the research. Oh, we couldn't go content. The content right? was the digital one. Yeah, you can't. You can only use content. This we we could well, give a prize if someone could come um, up with this. Co- collating data. Um, we'll work on it. Somebody will send yeah. something in, and it'll be good. And yeah, this is really that'll wonderful. Really, really help you guys. I didn't out. know Jay that coming this, to this podcast would be so beneficial for you. Get my a free ministry. kind of marketing consult. Yeah. Free. Oh, so I thought I was like to be maybe I pay like I was. No, no, that was that was that was free. Um, 
Sid, last question, then we can wrap it up is, um, you can take this however you want. I know this about you. You live life in ministry with a perspective. There's a verse in, I think it's the Psalms or it's Proverbs says, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain a heart of wisdom. And I know that you are trying to live your life, invest your days, consciously knowing that we don't know if we have decades, you know, and there's this sense, and this is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to you as an individual is because you're trying to ring yourself out, you rest, you Sabbath, all these things, but ring yourself out for the gospel, refresh in Christ, refresh in community and ring yourself out more. And I would just love to hear you share just a bit about that posture. I know you probably would be self-deprecating and say most days you don't. But there's a real urgency to the gospel, a real invitation to go all in. And I see that model in your life. And we'd love to hear your heart on that as we wrap up. Yeah, I I think um, I'm not quite, you'll pull out where you want me to go with that. But I'll, I'll go, let me let me try to answer it just from what I'm thinking right now for a minute. Um, Jay, my life is a bit unique. I, I acknowledge that. So when I was in high school, my father, who was 48 years of age, died of a heart attack real suddenly. And I, we, I found him actually in our home as a high school student. And, um, and I remember praying God would give him back and it didn't happen. But I remember going into another room and just like messed up. But actually, you know, there's, I think like the only time I heard God's voice in my life was he said, hey, I'll be your father now. I got you. Like there was a wow. real a sense of that. But that began to create for me this narrative that life is pretty short. And one of the things that happened is my dad often spoke of heaven. Like it was so weird. Like, for my for my years of life from 14 to 18, he spoke of heaven constantly. He drove my mom nuts because she was like, don't you like our life here on earth? But what I didn't know had happened is four years before that, he had awakened in the middle of the night, thought he was dead. His heart was going nuts. And he had just said, Lord, either you need to like send someone else to help raise my boy or you got to give me a few more years. Wow. And that changed his vision. And, um, and, uh, and that started to give me a vision of this idea that Man, I love life. Dad was all in, loved life, engaged. But but life is short. And if this is all there is, man, like, I don't know that what I'm doing is worth it. But if there's something more, if there's something more to come, ooh, then I could actually, like, it would make sense to me if there's something more to come that I would be more willing to sacrifice mm. more here because there is actually a better way coming. So that kind of narrative, I think, drove me sometimes in some unhealthy ways, but sometimes in some really healthy ways. That, that, that our hope, we have to bring a greater hope, Jay. We have to bring the hope of God working now, but also God having something more for us later that's tangible, physical, real. There's an eternity coming that we're called to that's wonderful. So whatever we sacrifice here now is very small compared to what we get to achieve there. And when I'm talking about sacrifice, I'm not saying sacrifice your family. I'm not saying sacrifice these, these responsibilities and joys that God has called us to in this space. I'm saying, you know, be sacrificial in loving the people that God's calling you to love, doing the work that God's calling you to do, you know, in a really wonderful way that reflects the kingdom now. And so I just think like that, that vision has been so set for me. So this, you know, oh, we were together, uh, Jay, you know, what was that, two years ago now? Uh, in Abbotsford doing a conference when I got the call that my brother had died again, like 55 years of age, same thing as my dad did. And so then this past spring on March you know, 29th, I turned 48. My dad had turned 48 on April 1st. I turned 48 on March 31st. 19 days later, he was in eternity. And so I remember making it to that 19th day and then going, oh, wow. the rest of my days are bonus time. 
Like mm-hmm. I'm living in bonus time. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I'm trying to be careful about what that vision is I give to my own boys, how to express that in a healthy way. But the truth of the matter is, Jay, like we're all living yeah. on borrowed time. Like we really are. And we need to have a, a, a right, we have to continue to fight to get that lens of reality, that there's something more coming. There's a greater hope we're called to that's real, tangible, physical. And, and so, you know, so we live into that. We call other people to, to this reality that's better. And that, for me, that's giving me the energy to stay, to continue to stay in it. And I'm thankful for that. And there's many days when that's not the case. But that that vision mm. is, is is has shaped me in what I'm doing. If if I didn't believe there was something you know greater, I live a good life. I'm thankful for my life. Honestly, there's lots of people around our world who are sacrificing much more for the sake of the kingdom. And like Paul, it makes sense to them that if eternity wasn't real, they were the greatest fools of all. If the mm. resurrection wasn't real, they're the greatest fools. We don't say that here because it doesn't cost us much. But that should motivate us well to live the way that God would have us live in the space that we're in right now. And then it's okay. It's okay if much is against us. It's okay if, you know, we're we're losing, you know, territory or whatever, because there's something more that we're about. Wow. Well, I appreciate your time so much, Sid. Thanks for sharing with us today and the work you're doing to shape those who are shaping the next generation. It means a lot. And I'm all in with you. Uh, anything we can do through this network or through relationships or with you, buddy. Thanks, bro. Love you. What a great conversation with Sid. We really believe in the work of reaching the next generation and passing on our faith. So we hope that wherever you find yourself in the church or on the church org chart, that you feel inspired to step into that role to disciple young people and invest in the church for the decades ahead. Well, in a few weeks, we have Alan Hirsch with us on the podcast. He is a missionalist, a thought leader, an author of numerous books, and one of the leaders behind the missional church movement. He's been working for decades with churches around the world to find effective and gospel-centered ways to reach people and make disciple-making cultures. He's a faculty member at Wheaton College. He teaches at other schools like Fuller and has tons of wisdom to share from his years of leaning into missional efforts in a variety of different countries. We can't wait for you to hear that. And lastly, stay tuned on our social channels in the coming month for information on year-end giving. All of what we do here at CCLN to come alongside churches and pastors is made possible by generous donors and partner organizations who want to help us in our mission. And this next year, we want to continue our work of championing pastors, encouraging them and inspiring them in their work and investing in their development. So if you want to be part of this mission or you know people in your churches that might want to get behind this work, please head to ccln.ca slash partner for more information or reach out to us at contact at ccln.ca. Okay, that's it from me. We will see you in two weeks time for Jason's conversation with Alan Hirsch.